This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 122 of the Laravel News Podcast. I am Jake Bennett and once again with me as always, my wonderful co-host and Aussie celebrity, Mr. Michael Dorinda. Michael, Ce- welcome back to the show. A celebrity is a stretch, but I am happy to be here. No, true story, celebrity, Aussie celebrity. <laughs> All depends on your perspective, right? Celebrity in which, in which uh, you know, you're a celebrity in your own home, for I'm sure. I'm a celebrity. Eli's a big fan. Oh, uh, well, that's debatable at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you lay them down for naps, they become not such a big fan, you know? Yeah. But um, outside of that, I get it's, it. it's good times. I get him up in the morning and the, and all he does is yell at me for 20 to 30 minutes that he wants his mother. So he's in, yeah. he's hey, in that you know phase at the moment. You take it. You take you take that abuse. That's what we do as dads. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> hey, uh, for all of our uh, American listeners out there, happy 4th of July. It is the 4th of July right now as I'm speaking. It is 1137, so we're going to squeeze this one in on the 4th of July. We just got done watching some fireworks, which was really fun. And it's a pretty chill day because not like nobody's getting together. You know, like Usually it's like parades and like everybody's going out and seeing all these crazy fireworks. And so... It's usually a pretty crazy day, but we had a pretty chill day today, so it was uh, fun. Got together with just a couple of friends, shot off some fireworks, and it was good times. Nobody lost a hand, so that was good. That's good. That was good. Well, I mean, I can't see your hands, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> you've been you've been very coy with your hands. You haven't you haven't waved them around much yet. Oh, there they are. There they are. I've there. got all my fingers, all You're my right. digits. <laughs> so we're good. Uh, we did shoot off some fireworks the other night, though, and one of the uh, one of the like boxes tipped over. Oh no! <laughs> Started shooting fireworks. Shooting fireworks all the over the ground. Oh, yeah, no. thankfully it wasn't like towards the kids or anything, but it was fun. Yes, indeed. Well, hey, we've got some uh, release. Actually, just one release, um, and then we've got some news, some packages, and some tutorials, as promised. So let's start out with releases. Michael, you had to dig a little bit to find this one. We're on 7.18. What do we got? Yeah, we, we had to dig. I, I guess Paul had a had a bit of a break uh, this this cycle, but Laravel 7.18 was released uh, a few days ago here. And uh, this was mostly just a few little bug fixes, reversions to some small changes. So nothing huge or groundbreaking here. Um, we had an update to the exist property after a pivot delete. Uh, you know, we're not even going to go into heaps of detail because we don't have much to go by. So we're going to hit the cliff notes. So we had to update exist property um, after a pivot delete um, in your models to make sure that you're not referencing old or stale data. We have the ability now to make the component attribute bag macroable. There was a new filter where starts with and get first that starts with method added to the component attribute bag. There's a new to query collection method to generate a builder instance. And a new add every two, three, four minutes methods were added to Laravel's scheduler. Um, so we'll, I don't know that I can even include a link. We'll, we'll include a link to the uh, the changes as per the pull requests that were merged into this release. There is some yeah. cool stuff coming up for us in the in the new next release that will be out on Tuesday. So we'll see how that goes when that, ha- when that hits our composers on, uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, sounds good. 
Uh, following that, we've got some news. So I know that you were probably aware of this, but um, there was this comment on Twitter. I think it was last week. Don't remember. The, do you remember the name of the guy? I think it was like the the, X, the author of X Debug. It was wasn't the it? author. It was the author of the project. Yeah. Yeah. And so he basically, in so many words, I don't want to quote him. I don't want to misquote him. But basically, what it came down to is he said people who aren't using X Debug are amateurs. And so there was this whole backlash of everybody like, oh, I guess I'm an amateur kind of thing, right? And uh, yeah. a lot of people who were maybe uh, talking about how XDebug can be sort of difficult to set up sometimes. Uh, and so there's actually been a lot of, th- there was some complaining for a while, but then I feel like we took a turn for the better, maybe led by our one of our good uh, friends and uh, members of the community, Matt Stauffer. So he reached out um, and said, hey, I'd love to set up a time to kind of stream with you and see how you set up xdebug and what's the easiest way to do this and then there's a lot of other people who kind of came out of the woodwork and said well i actually made a tool for this or uh, there's this cool thing you can do over here and, and that makes it really easy to set up so one of those uh things that came out of this was this xdebug toggler app for mac os so this allows you to toggle xdebug off through an icon in your menu bar which is pretty dang convenient mm-hmm. the reason why you might want to do that is because xdebug can really slow down your performance uh, and so if you don't want to be using Xdebug, it's nice to be able to disable it quickly. In fact, when you run Composer, sometimes it says Xdebug is enabled. This might take longer than expected kind of yeah. thing, right? So um, so you can uh, just look up in your menu bar and it will tell you whether it's running or not, whether it's on or off. And then you can just quickly toggle it on and off. It also allows you to uh, configure the location of your Xdebug INI file, configure other Xdebug INI options. And it gives you the ability to automatically restart PHP or like MySQL, things like that, when you toggle Xdebug. So it's a really simple install. You can do it via Homebrew or you can just download the DMG file from the project. Uh, and it's on GitHub, so it's open source. You can check it out. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. I'm really excited to try that out, actually. We had a nasty bug that we ran into on Friday this last week. And uh, Wilbur Powery and I were both like, time to install Xdebug. Because we literally had to step through. Oh, my word. It was yeah. ridiculous. We had to step through so much crap. And we we're putting DDs everywhere. So XDebug would have actually been really handy in that case. So, yeah, yeah I think there's been some good discussions about this and, and happy that it's kind of been a good outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to uh, I had to install. Well, I actually had to use XDebug. I had it installed, but always disabled because our test suite that normally takes like 30 seconds to run with XDebug turned off. When we turn XDebug on, it takes something like five and a half minutes. So... Well, um, yeah. It's good if you actually want to profile and you want to do code coverage reports and things like that, or if you're actively using it for debugging. Um, but the, you know, this X debugger, what, what was it called? X, X debug toggler um, yeah. mm-hmm. is, is a nice, easy way. It's just up there in your menu bar. I've got a alias um, from friend of the show, Jose um, from Titan, uh, which just modifies the, the PHP.ini file to add and remove X debug from a command line alias. So um, that's really helpful. Nice. But I, I had to dig yeah. in and, and use Xdebug to profile an issue I was having with a test that had randomly started failing because we're making an assertion against something. And it turned out there was a a factory after creating state method. Oh, uh, yeah. So we I were creating that. a record. And then after we created a record in that state, we would then... Um, you know, we would raise it, we would fire an event which would cause an update, which was causing obviously the test to fail. So it wasn't anything to do with the code that was wrong and, you know, that had broken. It was um, the factory itself. And 
using Xdebug pinpointed that for me and it was not immediately clear because um, I wasn't reading the <laughs> I wasn't reading the um, debug output properly. I was reading like the file names, but I wasn't reading the path and it wasn't until I read the full path that I realized that the error was being triggered within the factory, not within the any of the application code. So um, it, it saved me a lot of time, to be honest, having because I just looked at yeah. it and I'm like, what is happening here? Because we haven't changed any of that code. Why would it be failing all of a sudden? So factory It's so nice because when you can you can basically like step through each piece and then you can inspect kind of the variables and what they're set at yeah. at each point, right? So if you're looking at like, this condition is matching and I'm not sure why. Like, what are all the conditions kind of leading up to that? You can yeah. inspect each one all the way up. You don't have to DD everything separately. You just kind of pause here. Let me look at it. Okay, continue on. Pause yeah. here. Yeah. Really Unless cool. you accidentally yep. step into instead of step over and, and then you have to bail out of the whole yeah. process and start yeah, stepping exactly. from the beginning again. So it's, <laughs> right. it's not, it's a powerful tool. And look, I I don't think using it or not using it makes you an amateur or a professional by any stretch, but certainly it's not the most um, developer-friendly tool. It's certainly a powerful tool, but it's not it's not necessarily the easiest thing to use. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Derek had said um, in a live stream that he did with Matt Stauffer that, that we can link up in the show notes that part of the push for the next version, the next major version of XDebug is to really hone in on the documentation and, and sort things out there. So we'll see what happens. Um, over the next you know couple of months, I think that nice. I think that's slated to release around the time PHP eight comes out at the end of the year. So we'll, we'll see how that tracks. Very um, cool. Sounds so that was a, a little divergence. So the next thing we've got here is table icons, which is a set of over five hundred free MIT licensed SVG icons that you can use in your own web projects. You can add the table icons to a project via an npm module, or you can paste the SVG code for each icon directly into the HTML. Um, there's also a sprite sheet if that's something that you want to do, and then you can reference icons out of the sprite. Um, and you can also change uh, the, the, you can use different variants of icons by using the CSS stroke width property. So you can go from a, a quite thin to a quite thick stroke on the icons if you need to change it based on your application. Uh, something definitely that you can check out. Uh, there's also the Tabler UI kit, which is a premium open source dashboard template based on Bootstrap. So we'll have links to both the icon set and the UI kit in the show notes. Yeah, I actually, this is not on Laravel News, but I wanted to share this real quick. I actually just recently uh, discovered this resource. So it's called Orion Icon Library, mm-hmm. O-R-I-O-N Icon Library. And um, it's the thing that I really like about it is this um, idea of stroke width so you talked about it with these tabler icons. You can just modify the stroke width CSS property in order to be able to kind of modify how thick the stroke is on them. Uh, with SVG icons, you can do that quite easily, which is great. Um, but a lot of times, that's the difference between a, a set of icons looking like they all belong together and a set of icons looking like they're just completely disparate from different sets, right? And sometimes you kind of have to do that. Like you need an icon for a specific thing and you can't really find it and you kind of got to, you know, look look at a couple different places. And so... Um, this Orion icon library allows you to modify the weight of the stroke and then also the ends. So like, is it a straight end or is it like a rounded end or, or whatever? Uh, and it's actually, they have a free plan and then that I think you also have a paid plan as well, but it's pretty reasonable, mm-hmm. but we've been using it this last month and I really enjoyed it. So I thought I'd just pass that along. It's uh, they've got a lot of, lot of icons out there. 6,014 uh, so cool. of them to be precise. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, sometimes when you buy these icon sets, it's like, you know, 
hundred bucks or 120 bucks. And it's, you know, like I don't always know if I'm going to like it or, or whatever. So this one, it's like a, I think 10 bucks or something like that, 10 bucks mm-hmm. a month. And so we tried it out, grabbed a couple icons we needed. And, and uh, I think we might end up staying subscribed to it because it looks like it's got quite a few that we, uh, we might use in the future. Very cool. In any case, that was, that was free there. Um, next up on the list, we've got this Laravel worldwide meetup so laravel now has an official worldwide meetup this is not a conference this is not a um (laughs) it's not like an online talk thing i'm just trying to make sure that everybody understands like we have laracon online uh in in the spring and then we're going to be having laracon online again which we would normally have at, at a location uh or laracon us is what you'd normally have like at a location we've already had um we're going to be having that. This is a Laravel worldwide meetup. So it is still electronic, but it's going to be happening uh, on July 14th uh, at 18 UTC. So the speakers will be Mohammed Syed and Joseph Silber. These are both obviously big contributors to the framework and the community. Mohammed being uh, Laravel employee number one and Joseph Silber being a very long time community member. I think he's been around. I mean, he's been around forever. Yeah. Um, so the the goals of this meetup is to introduce new speakers to the Laravel community, as as Freak has put it in his announcement. Uh, if you'd like to become one of the future speakers, you can propose your topic on the site. And the goal is to have each talk be about 30 minutes. So not super intimidating, right? It's only a 30-minute talk. Um, and so hopefully you can pitch a talk there and uh, get some exposure and, and share your knowledge with, with the larger Laravel community. So you can visit the official site. For all the details on this event and also join the newsletter. That's at meetup.laravel.com. Yeah, it's a it's a cool project. It kind of came out of out of uh nowhere, I suppose. I know that yeah. Blake had the I think he had it was J Mac and Nuna spoke. And it was just like an informal thing, but this is like an official Laravel meetup. The aim is obviously to do it monthly, like we would any normal um, in-person meetups, you know, I've got the the PHP Adelaide meetup here. There's meetups all around the world that usually happen once a month, and you usually go to a location. And, the, and and depending on where you are, you know, if it's if it's in, for example, India, I know their meetups are like 200 people. Ours, we might get 10 to 20 people. You know, they they vary in in all kinds of different sizes. Uh, this would be a really good way to get some of the speakers from around the world that aren't quite at the level or aren't so sure if they want to speak at a conference because there's, you know, a lot of work in it um, to, to make one of those what typically are considered to be like groundbreaking topics or or really well put together things. The, the meetup, they'll still be high quality talks, but it will certainly open the door for more people to like build up their speaking repertoire. Um, so looking forward to, to seeing some more, more talks because, you know, we get the Laracon US and Laracon online and that's, 10 to 20 talks, you know, once a year and they're really great talks, but it's, you know, there's kind of like nothing in between unless you go looking for for specific things. So it'd be cool to have um, a little dash of Laravel from all around the world from, from hopefully new and exciting speakers, um, you know, month to month as, as, as we go on. So definitely check that out. If you are interested, as Jake said, we can get some um, talk proposals together and, and hopefully see some new faces and new ideas popping up month after month for a long time to come. Absolutely. The next thing we have here is the Tailwind CSS IntelliSense plugin, which is now an official first-party plugin for VS Code put out by the Tailwind team. They 
recently hired the uh, the original creator of the IntelliSense plugin, which was uh, Brad Collins. So he started working for Tailwind a little while ago, and his first, I guess, public piece of work for Tailwind was to build and ship a new release of the Tailwind CSS IntelliSense plugin that adds Tailwind-specific linting for both markup and CSS. Um, so this will now, rather than just giving you a breakdown of um, all of the, the Tailwind class names and, and, you know, the auto completion that you got in VS Code before, we now have the ability to detect errors in your CSS. So quoting from the release announcement, Tailwind already detects CSS errors. For example, when you mistype a screen name in the at screen directive, the linting feature of Tailwind CSS IntelliSense services these errors and displays them in context directly inside your editor. The linter will validate your at Tailwind, at screen, at variance, and at apply directives, as well as any theme function calls. So that'd be really helpful. Um, you know, when you're adding things in, you're not not noticing any um, effect of those changes. So that's that's one of the main things that was added. The other thing that was added is catching conflicts in your HTML. Quoting from the release announcement again, there is one more lint rule which analyzes class lists in your template files and highlights any instances where utilities seem to be in conflict. For example, you probably didn't intend to have an MT6 and an MT4 in the same class list. So that'll be really good because you can get, you know, this leads to unpredictable things, if, especially if you've got quite a lot of classes, for example. And they right, scroll yeah. off the screen and you don't see that you've got the, the duplication in there. Um, and you're trying to figure out, you know, why is my MT6 not applying? Because the MT4 is further down the list. Um, so definitely check that out. I don't. There, there was also some quick fixes included um, and some configuration options. So definitely check that out if you're a VS Code user. Looks like a, a really powerful piece of tooling. And uh, and it's cool to start seeing the the fruits of the new employees that are coming into the Tailwind CSS fold. Yeah, I couple things. I think that um, one thing that would be really interesting is the ordering of different properties. Like, So that's sometimes why I feel like I get mixed up with like if there's conflicting properties is because I'm typing it all the way on the left-hand side, but there's a, a, something I forgot about all the way on the right-hand side. And mm-hmm. like you said, those class lists get sort of long, especially if you're dealing with like responsive stuff, like if you're doing all the responsive yeah. items. Uh, so I've kind of got a, a personal style that I do where I'm kind of like break them up on a new line according to each different screen size. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of have like my base styles and like the first line. And then as I, as I kind of go up to the different sizes, any modifications uh, for different screen sizes kind of get their own line. Um, but I'd be interested if there's like a prescribed, there isn't right now, I don't believe. There is. But if so there this, was like a prescribed, is there really? Yeah, so this this plugin, this, these are just new features that have been added, but this extension already does that sorting for you. Oh, perfect. Um, so it does okay, gotcha. autocomplete nice. linting. It does a hover preview. It, it will um, sort sort the classes for Good. you. Good, sweet. Um, That's awesome. Because I don't care what the order is. I just care that it's consistent. And for any of our existing stuff that has Tailwind classes in it, it's kind of a little bit annoying because when I've got it to to order reorder on save. So when I save the file because mm-hmm. I wanted to change one thing, you know, down here, and then you have got the whole file has changed because it's reordered yeah, the exactly. the classes, right? Um, you don't have to do that once. So um, definitely definitely check it out. That is a super cool thing. It's it, it helps just in terms of across the team. You don't have to think about it. It's consistent. It's it's always going to put things in the same order. Um, and it means you don't have to think about it, which is the best part. Yeah. I'm curious how difficult this would be to port to uh, PHP Storm. Mm-hmm. There's a port for Vim, so, so I guess they can figure out how to do it for PHP Storm. 
I I think we talked about this last time. I think mm. they can. Yeah, my yeah. I think someone right. did very cool. mention that there was a port. I'm sure someone there, there'll be someone in my mentions on Twitter that's mentioned it. So I vaguely recall you mentioning that, but because it was PHP Storm, I didn't pay heaps of attention to it. But thank you to whoever <laughs> you were, assuming you are not a figment of my imagination. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, we also have uh, some packages we'd like to talk about. The first one on the top of the list here is Guzzle 7. So the popular Guzzle HTTP client reached version 7 last week with the exciting news that most users, that is 95% of users, should be able to upgrade without any modification to their code. So this release is focused on increasing the minimum supported PHP version and also introducing new language features that are found in PHP 7. So sort of any people who are hanging around on older PHP versions, those are the people who might have a little bit of a difficult time upgrading to this new release of Guzzle. It implements PSR 18. It dropped PHP 5 support. The minimum version is now 7.2. Uh, there are type hints and return types for functions and methods, uh, which have been added wherever possible. And then there's also IDN support for redirects. So be sure to check out the 6.0 to 7.0 Upgrade guide for a list of known backwards compatibility breaking change with 6.x. Um, one of the items that Paul had noted here that he found uh, interesting uh, was that the client HTTP methods like get and post and those sorts of things have strong typing now. So the get head, put post, all those things and delete async methods are now implemented as genuine methods on the Guzzle HTTP client with mm-hmm. strong typing. Uh, it used to be a underscore underscore call implementation, like a magic method sort of deal. Yeah. But it won't be, it, it's still there for backwards compatibility, but it won't be invoked in normal operation. It'll, yeah. it'll use these new methods. Um, so if you still need to access the version six documentation, it will be out there. Uh, you can also check out the version guidance table in the project to read me. And at the time of writing, the latest docs have Guzzle 6 in the heading. But if you go to the slash latest on the end, uh, those are where you find the Guzzle 7 docs. Um, so lots of good stuff in here. Paul added uh, some additional details around what's been added, changed, fixed. Uh, you can check those out in the show notes. Uh, if you're using the new HTTP client in Laravel, I'm not sure if it's upgraded to 7 yet or not. I doubt it will matter. I, I, doubt I matter. don't know It'll that it will just... be, but I assume it will possibly support it in Laravel 8. That's Yeah, that'd probably be a good time to change it. That's a good point. Awesome. So that's Guzzle 7. There you go. The next thing that we have is the Laravel Media Uploader package from Ahmed Fadi, which uploads files using Sparsi's media library package before saving a model. You can then attach uploaded media to the model in your controller. So um, it's... Basically, a one one line command or a one line function call. You would create your new blog post, for example, and then from that blog post, you can just call add all media from tokens, and it will attach any media that was uploaded as part of that request to that newly created model record. According to the readme, media processing happens in the following ways: all videos will be converted to MP4. Or audio will be converted to MP3. Or images width and height and ratio will be saved as a custom property. And all videos and audio durations will be saved as a custom property. You can also attach media in more specific ways. And on the front front end, the package is stitched together with a companion view component as well. You can check out the component usage doc, documentation for details on the front end component. But a basic example is essentially just file-uploader. Um, you can pass a configuration for the maximum number of files. Um, if you were to attach it to a collection, any tokens that you would be including 
uh, which I my guess is that they're references to the files that have been uploaded in case you need to modify them at some point in the future. Um, you can la- label it. You can s- add some notes, which would you know be your help text, and you can also specify um, accepted file types as well. The package also includes some REST API endpoints to access uploaded files, display recently uploaded files, and show deleted media. Uh, as always, you will be able to learn more about the package, get full installation instructions, and view the source code on GitHub. We will have links to that in the show notes. Very good. Uh, Paul also put up here for us, create model sequences with the eloquent sequencer package. So this is having to do with when you are ordering uh, things in a list. So think about like if you had a list of to do's, or if you use like a Kanban board, and you kind of need to sort them like, um, you know, drag, drag them to a spot and then drop them in there. And then it kind of orders them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is I, I think that's what this package has to do with. So uh, Gustavo Gentile for he he created this package for automatic with sequ- automatic sequencing of your models when adding new records. So it makes it trivial to rearrange things like to do's or cards or lists of models. Uh, so they give an example here demonstrating a task list that has many task models. And then if you have a drag and drop interface for reordering, you could call the following methods, which are like a task update position four uh, or task delete. Uh, so that would be remaining tasks would be rearranged after removing that particular task. So if you said, hey, I have one that's in position four, but go ahead and um, delete the one that's in position three, it would update all of the tasks below that to move up in the list, if that makes sense, right? That's something you would have to do manually. Otherwise, you'd have to update that position list. Uh, finally, you could use the following methods to get the sequence list of tasks. So you call task colon colon sequenced get, and that will order them for you in the correct order based on that position column. Uh, so that's pretty cool. It's I, I've not used drag and drop interfaces a whole lot before. Uh, we do have one spot where we do it, uh, maybe two. Uh, but you do, these are sort of things that you have to uh, think about yourself or discover on mm-hmm. your own once you've made one of these interfaces. The delete one is an interesting one, right? So when you delete, having to update those ones below it, um, you don't think yeah. about it, right? Until yeah. you have to do it. And then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to think about that. <laughs> so if you have something that you're doing these sort of orderings of, this would be a really helpful package for you to take a look at. If nothing else, just to kind of uh, recognize what are some items you might need to think about when you're building that, um, even if you don't use the package itself. But yeah, definitely check that out. It's a cool one. The next one we have here is a package that I'm aware of. And I don't know if we've spoken about it on this podcast before, but it is Laravel Factories Reloaded, and it is a package by Christoph Bumpel that generates class-based model factories that you can use instead of the factory files that Laravel provides. Um, I think also the the 20% time podcast from the folks over at Titan, they spoke with John mm, John Bon. I know his name, John Bonner. I think it's Bonner Corso. Sorry, John. Um, they They spoke a bit about using the class-based approach for model factories. And some of the main benefits of using class-based factories is that you can use features that you already know from the Laravel factory. So you can create, make, um, use the times method, the the states. You can automatically create new class factories for a specific model or all of your models. You can automatically import defined default data and states from your Laravel factories and a lot more. Um, But what is the benefit of using class-based factories specifically? 
They give you much more flexibility on how to create your model instances. They make your tests much cleaner because you can hide complex preparations inside the class and they provide IDE auto-completion, which you don't have with the factories themselves because it's sort of uh, closure-based, um, arbitrarily named states and things like that. The, the class-based approach is really nice. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to see something like this in Laravel 8 or I could be making that up, but I'm pretty sure there's something along those lines coming in Laravel 8. And being able to do things in, in factories themselves and, and having a class to contain the factory means that um, you don't necessarily have to use cedars. I know that David Hemphill has, has spoken about that in the past. He spoke about that at Laracon AU a couple of years ago and, and using the cedars to have uh, descriptive names for setting up certain parts of your uh, typically your test suite. So this is a, another interesting approach from uh, from Christoph. So we thank you for the package. Uh, there will be links, of course, in the show notes. Very nice. Okay, we have a couple tutorials out here. Um, this first one might be like, they're sort of like tutorial slash packages, I suppose you could say. Uh, but we have one called Simplifying Installing and Updating Your App with Laravel Executor. So Laravel Executor is a package by Ash Allen. And what it does is it simplifies running code and commands when installing or updating your web application. So it provides an executor set of classes that you can run from the artisan command line. So a basic example is maybe running the following command after pulling the latest version of a project from a repo. So you pull down, and then what you could say is this class would, uh, in in an executor, in a, I'm sorry, in a run method that extends an executor class, you could say something like uh, run composer install, run artisan migrate, run artisan cache clear, and then send a completed notification to the desktop. So uh, you could simply uh, execute that by running php artisan executor colon app update or whatever you named it. And the class names in this case, in that the one we just described, the class name is app update uh, and it would be app dash update in the command mm-hmm. line. You wouldn't have to write a new command for it. It just kind of figures out what you would need uh, to run that. So that's really handy, especially if you have a team of people and you've kind of centralized around a particular thing that you need to do when you pull down a, a repo. We actually had to write something similar like this for ourselves and we kind of struggled to come up with a convention, like what do we call it? How do we how do we do it? And you have to kind of write this whole thing yourself, right? What is it that you're that you're doing? Do you do it through Composer? Do you have like a script that you run after install? Like you know, there's just a bunch of different paths, right, that you could use. Um, so obviously, this introduces an external dependency, but it also makes the syntax really really nice. Uh, so there's a visual example here in the in the blog post. You can also, if you have a scenario where you want to manually run an executor, uh, you can do it outside of the command line as well. So you can just say new, like you could just new up app install or app update or whatever, and then run, arrow run. And so you can, you know, whether it's for a test or whether it's uh, for you want to do it inside some other script or class that you're calling, you could do that as well. So you might even be able to like chain together. Maybe you'd have one that chains together multiple others that you could have. So like if you had one that was, if you're, if you're getting just started, or if you have like a list of things that need to happen, and you wanted to kind of package those all into one, uh, you could you could do it that way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it looks really interesting. I I read through this last week and thought that this could be something that we could use on our team. Um, Especially when you have like a new developer coming on the team. Uh, It's things that you haven't thought about before, because you kind of built like for us, we we built these applications 
together. So all of our environments mm-hmm. are kind of like on the same page. But when you bring someone in who's not done any of it before, they're setting things up for the first time. Uh, there's a lot of these scripts that you kind of have to just know. And it's not if it's not somewhere in the code base that you can just run this command, you've yep. got to build that somehow. So this is yeah. a really interesting way to do that. Definitely. And uh, as I, I'm returning to the office this week, so I, I'm going to leave my iMac at home and I'm going to take my laptop to and from the office when I do that. And so setting that all up and getting even the projects that I built and know how they work, getting them up and running has led to some errors. Yeah. So something like this would definitely be simpler. We've We've got like bash scripts that just execute a bunch of commands, but keeping everything inside of Laravel and in PHP and just keeping it consistent is is a really nice way of going about it as well. So definitely check that out if uh you know onboarding and and reproducing even if even if you're deploying to like user acceptance testing environments and staging environments and things like that, being oh, able to true. just run a command that gets everything set up and running. Um and if you wanted to spin up, you know, specific scenarios you know, it needs to have a user account in this state um, and things like that. You could definitely use something like this to, to handle that for you rather than concocting, you know, CEDARs or um, database factories or, or, you know, hand-rolled shell scripts. So definitely check that out. The other, the other thing I'm actually thinking about, which this would be handy for, so like in Envoy, which we use to do zero downtime deployments, there's uh, the idea of like um, webhooks, right? Not webhooks. Deployment hooks, I think is what it is. Deployment hooks. So you have like pre-install, like post-install, and then you mm-hmm. have pre-deploy post. Anyway, there's like a list of like eight of them, right? So at different steps in the deployment process, um, what do you do? And right now, the way that that sort of works is you just kind of have these one-off setups that live in Envoyer and you kind of define them. And one of the things that they notice is people want to do these things common in common between so, so like maybe you want to migrate the database maybe you want to cache your gig maybe you want to do horizon terminate or queue restart based on like what kind of queue worker you're using mm-hmm. or in our case you want to release a new sentry uh you want to push a new release. sentry release yeah. up sentry to let them know yeah exactly a couple of different things like that and right now those just kind of live in envoyer and nobody really knows what's happening unless yeah. you have access to that specific project in envoyer It'd yeah be... and not everyone would necessarily have access to envoyer right? exactly. depending on how you're controlling your release process exactly and so it would actually be really nice if we had something that was called like um if we just knew that we had one said app post update or app post deploy or something and that would just run this set of things that need to happen that way the knowledge isn't contained in envoy it's actually in version control you can see it yeah um see it in there that'd be pretty cool beautiful yeah awesome all right we got one more thing here we've got one more thing this is a tutorial from alex pastel and it's about using sanctum to authenticate a react single page application being that it is a tutorial, I won't read it out because there's uh, quite a bit to it. Alex has done a good job by the looks of things in getting this set up, but he he talks about getting your um, backend set up. He talks about setting up the front end and what the SPA um, scaffolding needs to look like. He talks about digression on cross-origin requests and, and CSRF tokens and things like that. So he does go into a, a lot of detail around getting everything set up so that you can use Sanctum to uh, authenticate your React-based single page application so definitely check that out and thanks to alex for a wonderfully in-depth article awesome well hey i think that about wraps us up for episode 122 today any final words my friend uh i have nothing i have nothing i'm looking forward to getting back to the gym i haven't been for three months so 
this week. Oh man, it'll be me. I'm gonna. Everything's gonna yeah, be me sore. Too. <laughs> me too. Looking back to that gym life. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm a gym rat. No, not true. Not true. I wish I was. I wish I was a gym rat. Someday. Life goals. Okay, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to episode 122. If you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 122. Uh, if you want to talk to us about anything we had on the show, anything we got wrong, or uh, if you just want to say, hey, reach out to us on Twitter at Michael Dorinda, at Jacob Bennett, or at Laravel News. And of course, if you really liked the show, we would be so appreciative if you would share it with your friends every time we have an episode come out. Uh, we have a tweet. If you retweet that or... Uh, the other thing you can do is give us five stars in your podcatcher of choice. That'd be amazing. We yep. really appreciate all of you who are listening. Hope you had a wonderful day today for all of you Americans out there, July 4th. And for the rest of you, hope you had a great July 4th too. You count as well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you. Bye.